Welcome to When Pigs Fly. We're uncovering Cincinnati's rich business history from the 1800s to today. We talk to companies to learn the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, what it takes to grow a successful business into simply pros to future innovation. I'm your co-host, Patrick Bailey, and my other co-host, Ali Martin, is out today. Uh, so I will be flying solo, and this will be my first time recording a podcast by myself without the main person on our team who knows everything media. So bear with me. I'm excited. We actually have Kai McKinney of Helm on today. Helm is a SaaS platform that is essentially a virtual assistant coach that lives on Slack and can help determine and prevent burnout from the bottom up of your teams and also be a tool for companies to use to validate if there's an issue on their team and help them fix that problem. So I'm super excited to bring Kai in. Uh, I think HR tech has a bright future here in Ohio. Um, You know, a lot of benefits companies. We recently just had Vinley here in Cincinnati get acquired by Workday for a lot of money. And so Kai, who has family roots to Cincinnati, is actually based in Columbus, where he and his team are building out Helm. Uh, So, but they're going to be in the tri-state area in the not-too-distant future. So I'm excited to learn more from Kai. And on that note, time to bring him in. Welcome, Kai, to the podcast. Uh, To start out, can you just go ahead and give our audience a bit of background on yourself and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, totally. Thanks, Patrick. Uh, it's it's awesome to be on. Uh, my name is Kai McKinney. I am the co-founder of Helm. Uh, I'm very invested in the uh, Columbus startup community um, and have been for quite some time uh, and really excited to be here. Yeah, well, thank you for coming on. And so uh, just a little bit want to dive into your background. So how did you get into entrepreneurship? Like what yeah. sparked that curiosity? Definitely. Um, you know, it, it kind of goes back both ways. So, it, you know, I think with a lot of people, it sort of starts with, with uh, family a little bit. And uh, I consider both of my parents to be entrepreneurs in, in very different ways. Uh, my dad is sort of a more traditional. Um, he is a small business owner. And, uh, um, you know, growing up, we would go to trade shows instead of family vacations and uh, help sell pottery tools. That was our that was our business, um, and there was a lot of buy-in there. You know, you know, from the family, it was it was an all hands on deck effort at a lot of times. Um, you know, my first job in, in high school before uh, before I could get a job elsewhere was uh, crawling around the attic uh, of of the building that we you know stored pottery tools in, um, and so you know that that kind of taught me a lot about um, not just kind of building a business, uh, you know, obviously when you're a kid, you don't really think about those things too much, but, um, you know, but you, you do kind of pick up on some of it, but, but also just sort of like the lifestyle of, uh, kind of working for yourself and having a little bit more flexibility. Um, my mom also worked They They were like a great team. Uh, she, she kind of held down a, a more stable job as, uh, as, as, you know, the family business was, kind of growing, uh, but she is actually an immigrant. Uh, she came over from China uh, in her 20s, um, and 
and that is actually a big reason why I consider her to be sort of an entrepreneur as well, because even though she didn't, you know, so much, uh, she's starting her life from scratch in a new country. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That's, that's what it came down to, right? You're, you're building a new, um, and that's like, like, you know, just kind of being, she was a little bit older than, than I was, than I am when, when she uh, came over to the States, but I can't imagine that. I mean, she, she didn't know that she'd see her family again. So, both of those kind of influences really, really kind of set me on the path of like, uh, do your own thing, um, solve big problems, um, don't always do what you're supposed to do, do what you think is uh, is right. Um, so, I love that. Yeah, yeah. no, it's not, I love that. And I love that your, your parents are the ones that ingrained that in you. And clearly, when you went to Ohio State, sorry, the Ohio State University, uh, you continued on upon that uh, entrepreneurial journey. And you did quite a few, you know, student groups, but also that's kind of when you started this company Helm. So can you kind of just dive in, you know, what in college, I guess, was like, oh, I'm going to start a company and do all the typical, you know, university life things as well. Yeah. And I I should say, we might even want to put this at the front. Um, Helm is uh, is a tool for helping uh, solve burnout at at companies. Um, It's a SaaS tool that basically delivers um, delivers a framework that helps employees understand what motivates them, right? Mm. And so the big question is, how do we get to there from from where we are now as like an educational thing? Um, yeah. And you know, the the whole thing uh, there, there's a there's a rule that I really like, which is called Sturgeon's law. And it's the Sturgeon's law says ninety percent of everything is like garbage. Um, it seems a little bit cynical. Um, Sounds very cynical. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and like, like I think it's. But in startups, over- it's kind of probably is kind of true, right? Well, you know, they say like, like one in one, one in startups ten succeeds. actually make it. Yeah, right. And what I take, so I think a lot of people, like, like you know, an art critic might think, like, oh, you know, that rule just means that a whole bunch of art is terrible. I, I don't really like take that interpretation of, of mm. that. What I what I take from that is, um, uh, you have to iterate, right? Like. Um, you know, 90% of the stuff that you put out into the world that you tried to do will probably not work out for one reason or another. Um, mm. but, but you have to go through the 90% to get the 10%, right? So, so the rule so you of iteration... Take, took a very positive spin on a very cynical law. I love yeah. it. I love it. <laughs> um, but the rule of iteration is, is kind of key here, right? Because you, mm-hmm. you, know, you start off as a bunch of college students that want to build something, but, uh, but you have to kind of figure out um, the right approach, and only now, right? And, and you know, now I've I've graduated from university. Only now have I sort of have we really started to stick in in, in that um, capacity. Um, so a lot of this has just been learning. Um, but okay, so the next step was uh, so we had this educational thing, um, and then that went on for a while. We grew a little bit of a following, uh, and then it's, it's sort of just. Like over the next summer, it kind of went off the rails. It was like, okay, it was like a college project, um, you know. And then, and then, the the next semester, uh, which was like okay. semester, like the first semester of my, my sophomore year, right, the second year in college, um, there was this big competition called the Holt Prize, and the Holt Prize was really cool. Like, um, I actually have. This this lanyard here from from when we attended, but it was like uh, 
you know, it was put on by the United Nations and like the, the keynote speaker was like Bill Clinton. Um, and it was like this international, like social enterprise thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were like, okay, well, their whole big thing is like empowering people, you know, very grandiose thing, but, yeah. um, but we wanted to be part of that. So we sort of took what we had and, and molded it to fit the prompt for that year. Um, you know, so we were so it was like an external pivot. Uh, so you're and, iterating again. Yeah, and, and we were iterating. And um, at this point, what we, what had really come to surface was, you know, one of the things that I think we found was really important was, uh, like, democratizing uh, power, but more than that, giving people ownership um, and giving people ownership of their own, like, identity, their own story. Um, we thought that there was so much richness to, you know, to an individual that, uh, that didn't really get captured by a resume. Like our whole thing was like a total mm-hmm. disavowal of the resume. We were like, we're replacing the resume and replacing it with like stories of, of candidates. Burn um, down the resume. <laughs> burn down the resume. Uh, and of course that was a bit idealistic, right? Like, you know, <laughs> resumes are, are, are useful. Um, but again, a lot of the inspiration here came from sort of like a like a personal background, right? Mm. Uh, like my mom, again, she she came over from uh, you know she immigrated to the states, um, and uh, you know got passed up on on a lot of promotions, right? Like uh, she, you know, she was a top performer um, at, at her at her uh, you know company, but um, there was like context missing, right? Even when she came to the U.S., like she had spent a long time. Uh, at, a, at a very good university in, in China, and none of those credentials mattered. Uh, you know, the, the credentialing system was was broken here, and so she had to kind of like start from scratch. Um, and obviously, a lot of those things have have become better processes now. But yes, um, but it's unfortunate that she was more of a victim of a just circumstance and of systems that she had no control over. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, I think. It certainly wasn't unique to her, right? Mm. Nor was it unique to immigrants. I think, um, I think what we saw was an opportunity to tell people's stories in sort of an intriguing way, um, and then we we ended up kind of like boiling this down to like a like a product. It was like a portfolio for for actually coders. Um, you know, we we saw like a lot of potential there, um, and that kind of brings us to February. Why coders specifically? Good question. Um, Basically, a there was a lot of work going into hiring coders. Um, like like yeah. it was a, it's everybody's very, fighting for them. Yeah, yeah, it was a very growing uh, sort of uh, you know pain um, that that people had to solve for. Um, but also, um, you know, we, we saw a lot of <laughs> potential to like humanize that particular position. Um, mm. You know, a lot of a lot of our friends at the time were coders and kind of trying to get into industry. The other interesting thing about coders is that uh, a lot of them didn't necessarily go or like didn't learn how to code in college. Um, and so, you know, a, big, a lot of are self-taught. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or didn't go to college to study like computer science, right? They, they might've like pivoted into that career path. Um, either way, uh, you know, there was missing context there. Um, that hmm. that you might not have gotten strictly from a resume, and and we thought that was sort of an intriguing uh, story or group of stories to tell. Um, so we created this this 
um, platform for sharing projects, uh, sharing projects that had been done in like hackathons and uh, in school and stuff like that. Um, kind of like an online portfolio, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Like an online portfolio for for coders to show their work, right? To you know, uh, as part of the hiring process. Um, and that was like you know going along well. We were kind of growing it. We were getting random people from around the internet. And this to, is all while you're still studying in school, correct? Yeah, yeah. So at this point, it's February 2020. Um, okay. You know, like late right before the pandemic, early 2020, right before the pandemic. Exactly. Oh, no. uh, we actually have like a great launch party. We do it uh, at at this space um, over by the university, and we get like you know a hundred people there, and kind of do like this keynote. Um, and it was it was a lot of fun. Like I was playing my live music as well. I, I brought my saxophone over. Um, it was it was a great time. Um, but uh, <laughs> but then yeah, like a month later, like everything just completely, you know, goes topsy turvy. And and then you know, here comes the pandemic, right? And so, so do you put Helm on pause? I'm I'm assuming during this time. Well, we. We sort of put it on pause, but what we really did was we got kind of stressed out. Um, and so it was like the five, there's five people on the team at that point. And, um, and again, we were like mostly just like students in school. Um, we also, we had this growing connection with like the, the Columbus kind of community, right? Um, and just personally, um, at the start of the pandemic, I got really worried about like small businesses, you know, like I said earlier, my, uh, you know, my family background is, is, you know, a small business, which is very, very vulnerable, um, when things like this happen. Um, and so I was like, Oh, like I, I gotta, you know, we gotta figure something, something to do to help. Um, cause there's just going to be like a million different problems that, that start rolling in for a bunch of different people. And, um, and, and the other big thing was that everyone was kind of like sitting on their hands, like, like very anxious. He's going to make right? the first move, right? Like, yeah. Like trying to see what, what's going to happen. And it, I think like a, like a, a stress response in situations like this is simply to go in and do something, right? And um, we were sitting together, I think it's like a Tuesday, I'm not sure. Uh, it's late at night and we're kind of like brainstorming what to do. And we end up coming up with the name can't stop Columbus. Uh, and at this point we were working with a lot of hackathons to get people to share their projects. So we were like, okay, let's, let's make this like a, like an ongoing hackathon where people can like surface problems and people can like work together to solve them and, you know, like engage all sorts of members of the community. Cause again, everyone is like, ha- like what can we do to help? Right. Like, like serious in a direction. Like, um, I, I think that's a really unique thing about Columbus too, is that, uh, people here, I mean, there was, there's a very strong sense of community, but there's also a very strong bias towards action. Um, and so we kind of just like, you know, uh, like Jordan Davis uh, from the Columbus Partnership um, and, and from Smart Columbus, she sent out a tweet and she was like, um, hey, I'm thinking that like we should do something to help. And then we're like, I like that idea. Um, we put together this Slack channel. We gave it a name. We wrote like a press release. We texted everyone we knew. And within a, you know, a couple of days or couple hundred people involved in this uh, within a couple of weeks or thousands. I mean, you know, that the community response was just staggering. Um, and the, the first iteration of Can't Stop Columbus was actually a project sharing platform, right? It was, it was where people could uh, post ideas. Very similar to what you already created. It, well, that's, that's basically where that product ended up. Uh, and then of course it took a life all on its own. Right. So, so we, we sort of like, 
end up sunsetting th- like this particular product into the Can't Stop Columbus movement. Um, mm. Because also at the time, like there were a bunch of hiring freezes and people were getting laid off, and we we're like, th- like, like this might be like the thing that causes the economy to like dip, right? Like where hiring isn't going to be a good place to be. Um, obviously, it's it, it recovered pretty quickly, which was awesome. Um, mm-hmm. But but at that point, we we're like, um, there there are so many things going on in the world right now with remote work and Zoom and all that stuff. Uh, you know, what what we might characterize as like the future of work. Um, and we were like, okay, we we kind of like like the can't stop Columbus uh, thing was was awesome. Let's just kind of go focus on the future of work thing. Um, mm. We thought that there was a lot of a lot of opportunity there, um, and that started us off with just basically asking a lot of questions. Right, you know, it's part of the design process. You uh, you empathize first. You you talk to the users. Who are having the problems and making the game time decisions to, um, you know, go eventually go back to work. But but so at this who point, did you talk to to figure out what the problems were at this time? Yeah, especially um, in the future of work. So we talked to at the time a lot of sort of like chief of HR, chief of people operations. Hmm. Um, that particular role got a lot of. First of all, had a lot of responsibility, but also got a lot of publicity. Um, during the pandemic because those are the people making the calls about, you know, uh, remote versus hybrid versus going back into the office. And, and they still are, right? And they still to are. And those are still the people that, that we really spend a lot of time talking to. Um, but basically we, you know, we spent a lot, a long time just sort of like asking them a lot of questions and, and kind of going deep into, um, into what their days looked like and, and the challenges that they were solving and, uh, you know, where they were collecting data and all this stuff, right? Um, and from there, we basically started <laughs> throwing stuff against a wall and seeing what seeing what stuck. Um, I love it. Yeah. So what did you try first and second and third until you got onto your current, uh, you know, platform or idea? Yeah. So, um, you know, the first, the first instinct was like, okay, let's, uh, let's make it easier for people to communicate on Slack, give them more context, right? So, so mm-hmm. I, I should say there were a couple of big themes, right? One of them was, um, how do we understand people holistically tell their whole story, right? Uh, and this has been a carryover through all of these different iterations. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's certainly still top of mind now, especially when people are building relationships virtually, right? Um, another one was, how do we give people, like, added context? Um, how do we help people work together if there's if there's like a big context gap between each other when you're working virtually and i think that's that's still sort of a big thing um and so we had these yeah a couple of these big themes that we that we really started to focus on and it's kind of like a iteration now were these sorry uh, were these themes the ones that the chief hr officers telling you like hey these are where we're struggling right now yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of them, so those two themes, and also the, like the third one, I think, was just like, how do we make these decisions, right? Like, like there is no rule book, there's no playbook. Um, mm. And there are a lot of big, sort of ambiguous, nebulous decisions to make uh, about, you know, staying at work or going into the office, making hires, right? No one had right answers at that point. 
So, okay, you landed on this idea. How are you, I guess, validating it and making sure there's product market fit there? Um, because you clearly found product market fit originally way back in your first iteration with, you know, coding and coding portfolios and hiring for coders. But now this is kind of a little bit different in the sense that you're tackling this bigger market, every single worker, probably every single person had face during the pandemic is burnout and questions of burnout. I know I did. Um, so how are you, I guess, trying just to validate that like companies care about this enough to, you know, pay you obviously to be the solution for them? Well, you know, if, if I'm being honest, um, we, we kind of took the whole like throw stuff against a wall and, and see if it sticks thing. Um, right. Like, the idea is like you want to build an, an MVP and then kind of get mm-hmm. it out there and, and get feedback. Um, what we what we got originally when we had nothing built out is we got a lot mm-hmm. of feedback like, hey, you're solving the right problem. Um, we went out and talked to companies to start pilots, and this was at the very end of 2020, beginning of 2021. We, we put out a product that solves like the first step, but really just, you know, frankly looking back was a, a little half-baked. Um, you know, they, they say it should be minimal, uh, it may have been too minimal, uh, for being completely <laughs> so honest. So, for our listeners, can you walk us through how you are solving, I guess, the problem of burnout? Like, for say that I'm worker Joe Schmo, what does Helm do? How does Helm interact with me and my employer? Yeah. So, um, think of Helm as two things. Um, the first thing is a model for... Uh, sort of understanding your energy. And this is something mm-hmm. that goes employee to employee. We really emphasize like a bottom-up approach, right? Again, starting with the individual, telling the full story, People et cetera, first. et cetera, right? Um, you know, and so what that means is, uh, you know, we, you know, obviously making sure it's consensual, we, we collect data, uh, we take active data input from users, um, and it's all in Slack, that's, that's where we're starting. Um, and sort of like a, a daily or, or weekly basis, uh, just to kind of get a gauge of how you feel, right? So a lot of it is, mm. is just a pulse check. And there are a lot of products that, that do this, right? Um, what, what we also do is, is we focus not only on like work stuff, right? So we're not just asking about like, what'd you do today at work and, and whatever, but, uh, but we also kind of go outside the boundaries of work a little bit um, because energy is not confined to uh, just work or just life it's sort of it's it's everywhere um and so we we take this holistic approach um not only work but also life um and then we also combine that with an approach of like not only output but also input right so um not just where your energy is going but also where you're getting it from um and that gives us this holistic understanding of like okay um what's like what's going on here what's what's motivating you, uh, what's taking up your energy, um, stuff like that. Um, and now that's all through Slack. That's all correct? through Slack, yeah. Okay. Um, or do you also have your own platform that people can input how they're feeling, or, or is it right now it's just Slack? So right now it's just Slack. Uh, that primarily came about through, um, you know, market research, right? Uh, mm-hmm. we, we found that a lot of the companies, especially like the – series a through series c startups that are really focused on growth right like burnout is sort of inevitable there but but they really want to like mitigate that and and optimize their culture their their operations for growth um so so this data is is sort of useful for those and and a lot of them are on slack um 
but you know, we, we kind of took this approach of like, okay, holistic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and the other big thing is that we we, we you know finalize the feedback loop, right? So um, we give employees, right? You know, if, if you're doing this on, on Slack, uh, we give you like a weekly wrap up. Think Spotify Wrapped about um, like, hey, this is the but stuff. on a weekly basis of what you've done. Yeah, yeah. This is the stuff that like that's got like that has given you energy, right? Like these sort of are your motivators, um, you know, and we kind of categorize them in like work categories and, and, and life categories. Um, and these are the things that have like sort of taken away your energy. Uh, and then we sort of like synthesize this into like a total energy score and, and you can kind of see how it fluctuates over time. So how often are they taking this, I guess, like survey or, you know, having to give input to the Helm, I guess, Slack add-on right now? Um, feed Slack feature in order to get that, I guess, like energy score. Yeah. So optimally, it would be like very high leverage, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, not very much input for a lot of a lot of data on on the upside. Uh, right mm-hmm. now, it's um, we, we have like our our active users use it between daily and weekly, um, as in like they're they're putting in data on on that sort of spectrum of uh, of time. Well, that's great. Um, yeah, which is which is awesome. Um, and you know, I think a lot of customers right now are, are just using it to, um, like, validate or or confirm, um, you know, how, how what's the team's going feeling. On. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Okay. Um, like you get like a sense of it, but then you kind of look at the data. And it's like, oh, okay. Like I can so substantiate. So it that. sounds like you you're not really seeing an issue with people, like not filling it as much. Yeah. The, the, well, the caveat there is that, um, you know, those are the active users, right? But when you implement mm. it into a company, not everyone's going to be an active user. Yeah. That's more or less just sort of a, a, a trade-off of having like an active approach, right? Um, we actually see a pretty good ratio of use, um, but, you know... Can you, can you tell us what that ratio is, is yeah, right now? It's, um, we, we, we don't have a huge sample size, but it's, it's above 50%. Well, that's um, great. Yeah, which is think, like more than most survey, you know, inputs. Right? I think the average is like twenty to thirty percent, um, and you know we have optimized it to be like super simple, right? But, mm-hmm. um, but like, you know, obviously you, you kind of want to make that as as seamless as possible, and like realistically, like I, I also know that like, you know, even if you're getting value from it, you know, it's not directly related to the work that you're doing, so. Um, a lot of the process is just going to get more and more automated um, in terms of like uh, collecting the data and bringing it back to you. The thing that will never be automated is uh, whether a user can, you know, chooses to like share their data or, or keep it private. Got it. Um, so I guess like what, so Helm today is a Slack integrated into Slack platform. Where is it going? Right. Like you've brought up the idea of automation and, you know, doing some things on its own. Will the platform be able just to figure out and catch burnout before anybody inputs anything into your platform just by reading, you know, like the Slack messages, your email or calendar or whatever it needs to, you know, look at. Yeah. So so that's the goal. Right. Um, Like make it as integrated as possible where you're really like only like like one of the, the only touch points ends up just being. The, the data about you, 
um, that, mm. that you get back and that you choose to share. Um, but I should say the other big thing, and I mentioned earlier that Helm is two things. Right? The first thing is that model that you know, mm. ha- helps catch, up, catch burnout early and, and helps you understand it. The yeah. second thing is the utility, right? Um, the, the big thing that we've focused is, is making like a conversational, what we call like a digital coach on Slack. Um, and, you know, that is uh, sort of a, a bot or, or a, a Slack integration that goes in and kind of taps you in, in, in a conversational way on a daily basis to, or daily, weekly, right, um, mm-hmm. to, you know, keep the conversation going. What we found is that a lot of organizational development, like consultants, right, people that go in and, uh, and diagnose issues around, like, culture and, and operations and, and things like this, um, there's a really interesting use case there. Um, and we're going to kind of start off 2021 by sort of full sending this uh, in addition to just uh, marketing to um, Series A through Series C companies, right? And, and th- the big thing is this, right? The consultants go in and they spend like weeks, months even diagnosing issues within an organization, kind of figuring out, hey, uh, this is how this company ticks uh, and uh, this is something that like probably should be resolved, right? Mm. Um, that could be like a leadership thing or a management style, whatever, right? Um, they go in, they diagnose it, uh, they sort of engage sort of everyone, right, from, from an employee to the CEO, uh, and then they implement a change, um, which is awesome. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but that change... Uh, usually doesn't last. Uh, 85% of the time, which is kind of like sounds ridiculous, um, there, there's no long-term success. Uh, you know, Interesting. The, the thing that gets, that gets solved at the company, right, uh, ends up failing long-term. Um, so that's like a... It's a like, pretty high fail rate. Pretty high fail rate, right? And I think if you, if you talk to people that have undergone so, sort of this organizational consulting thing, which is like a very powerful, you know... Um, a very powerful field in terms of just like getting people motivated. Right. Um, but like, yeah, like it, it sort of gets validated. Um, mm. it's just hard to get people to change their behavior. Um, especially if it's not like a consistent thing. Yeah. Um, if it's like a one-time thing, it's like you feel really inspired for like a week and then, and then you kind of just go back to doing the same old thing. Um, so, so going back to like the second thing, Helm is a utility. It's, it's a way to kind of keep a conversation going. Right. Um, that is core to our model, but it turns out it's core to the models that get implemented uh, by consultants at these different companies. Um, and so, you know, that becomes like a really cool opportunity. We can basically create like a, a custom delivery mechanism to, to keep a conversation going. Consultants can plug in their framework um, and, um, and kind of like drive this ongoing like small but mighty behavioral change um, hmm. on, on an ongoing basis. Um, so, okay, this begs the question, are you going to, who's going to be your main customer? Is it the companies or the organizational consultants or ultimately, I guess, the companies because they're paying the organizational consultants? <laughs> yeah, so ultimately it is the company. The, the biggest struggle has been um, if, if you're implementing a tool that requires like buy-in from not only the employee but like the CEO, right? Like yeah. there's a whole bunch of different levels there. Um, and it's also like, even if it's very very small, there is an organ like there is a behavioral change associated with it. Um, so we can go to companies that have already like identified this need and like are, are very self aware 
Um, mm-hmm. Turns out a lot of companies, you know, it takes a while to, to get there. Um, and so going in through like a consultant or even through like an investor, right? Like if it's, if it's a capitalized um, yeah. company, um, you know, those people have buy-in to uh, making the company work more efficiently, work better, right? Like an investor pays to do that. Uh, a consultant yeah. gets paid to do that, but ultimately they're kind of driving the, yeah. the same sort of change. I could see a private equity, you know, firm being like, hey, this, you know, middle market, you know, company, use this tool because we want to make sure that no one's burnt out or we want to see how you are working versus, uh, you know, just no insights at all. So I really like that approach as a go-to-market strategy. So I guess like my next question is, what's the future like, right? Like what is, I guess, next product roadmap past, you know, working with consultants? Uh, Is it, you know, just trying to get as many customers as possible for the time being? Or, you know, how are you going to build out the automation piece? What what is that going to take, you know, in information-wise? Yeah. um, The big picture is really around, you know, empowering employees, right? Mm -hmm. Um. The thought there is, you know, give people the tools they need to succeed and they'll succeed, right? Um, you can apply the same thing to, I mean, uh, uh, an example I use a lot is like athletes, right? Like you give them data about like how they're working, where they're getting their energy from. Whoop does a really good job of this because it's not just like calories burned and steps ran, but it's also uh, it's also recovery data. Like um, mm. how, are you, how are you, you know, sleeping and, and eating and stuff like that. Um, more holistic approach. It's a more holistic approach, right? And and that really, that really goes in the direction of, um, you know, of, of meaningful of meaningful empowerment. Um, they even call it like a personalized coach, right? Which is sort of a, a similar verbiage to, to to how we describe our product. But mm-hmm. um, but really, that's the big picture. Um, how can we make organizations that um, you know, how do we give them tools to empower their employees? Um, how do we, you know, and how do we kind of like align all of those things towards mm-hmm. where organizations want to go? I, I think there's also like a big market play here, which is to say that um, people are managing themselves a lot more than they used to. And that's just a function of sitting in your room and kind of calling the shots. Remote working, yeah. Remote working, exactly. Um, right? Like, it's a lot more difficult to micromanage, which, which is a good thing, um, remotely. Um, and people are taking more ownership of their days, um, you know, their years, and, and also their careers, right? Mm. Um, why don't we give them the tools to do that, right? Um, and, and I think So essentially you're empowering each employee to be their own manager. To be their own manager, right? Um, and, and to give them not only the data to make those calls, but the confidence to, to, to do those things as well. Mm. Um, because, you know, I think when you look at the best workplaces in the world, uh, those are the ones that do a really good job of giving autonomy to their employees, to making it very clear what, like, what the purpose behind the work is, um, and then setting those employees on, on a, a path towards mastery, right? Honing mm. a craft, getting better at, uh, at one thing, uh, whatever that might be. Um, and if we can do that better through the tools that we offer, um, I mean, that's, that's the dream. 
So next question, what, what kind of traction do you have? Yeah. So if you're allowed telling us, I got it. Some things you can't say. Yeah. We're a pretty early stage company. Um, you know, and we've kind of been going through like, like we landed on this, um, this model, right. Of like solve burnout and provide utility to, uh, our framework, but also like consultants to, you know, to mm-hmm. mobilize frameworks, to keep the conversation going in, in companies. Um, we settled on that. Like, honestly, it's, it's been a few months, but, uh, but we basically started, I mean, I, I know I told you this, the whole story of like our team and things like that, but, but effectively this is a, a very different company than it was a year ago. In fact, it, we might just say it started a year ago. Um, and so, you know, over, over that period of time, we've, we've ran, I think, um, like 12 pilot tests. Um, a lot of them That's were crazy. spot tests with like early versions of the product. And uh, a lot of those products were not very good. Um, right. Um, it's, it's iteration. It's sort of the name of the game. Um, but we have, uh, I think around 30, uh, weekly active users. Um, we have revenue, uh, which, you know, just a little bit, but, uh, but we, we did get our hey, first check. <laughs> the first dollar is the hardest. So congrats. Yeah. And then we, <laughs> thank you. Um, and going into 2021 or 2022 rather, Wow. Um, uh, it, it's pretty exciting. We have, uh, I think, I think we're looking at like, um, much bigger pilots than before. Um, we have, uh, 12 of them lined up, but, but more coming, um, to kind of go sort of this, uh, go the way of the consultant, but also bring this new model into companies. Um, and by the end of Q, uh, by the end of Q2, we're shooting for, uh, raising our weekly active use to, to 500 uh, users. And it looks like... So with your current active users, what kind of feedback have you gotten? Yeah. Um, well, they're using it actively. <laughs> um, <laughs> that in itself is, is useful. Um, yeah. You know, largely I think the, the, the thing has been taking a moment to, to sort of uh, reflect. Um, that was mm. kind of an affordance of the product, but, but people have... Uh, like we crafted our questions sort of like a taking inspiration from like um headspace or or sort yeah. of a, you know a mindful forward app lots of introspection yeah and it's just like a like micro dosing uh <laughs> that that kind of introspection <laughs> or that mindfulness right so yeah. it's it, it's nothing too deeply considered but it is um it is a pause to to kind of take stock of uh how you feel and and, and things like that um so, like, people have given us positive feedback about that. Uh, people have given us fo- uh, positive feedback about being able to, like, confirm. Um, it, this is, like, from a manager's perspective, right? Like, confirming, yeah. like, okay, I, I read this interaction as being, like, like oh, like, you know, there's something going on. Um, and I, looking at the data uh, that sort of gets aggregated through Helm, uh, I, I can confirm that, right? Um, and so, like, that, that's been awesome, too. Um, we have had a couple of bugs. <laughs> um, we had hey, a bug where, yeah, well, there have been some, you know, we, we've worked with Slack and typically they've been pretty good, but um, there have been a couple sort of confusing things here and there. Um, so we've, we've done a bit of debugging, which, um, which I guess is normal. Uh, it, it's been a little bit frustrating, not only for it's us. It's part but, of the process. Yeah. Um, so I guess like from, I guess, 
the bugs and the low points, what did you learn? Yeah. So I, I think that the big thing now is, um, you know, like, like we're finally opening the, opening the door where we have a product that, uh, you know, we, we feel pretty confident about. We have sort of this validated approach. Um, we're doing pilots with a bunch of big companies uh, around Columbus, you know, like, like clout companies. I, I can't say them yet, but, um, but it's, it's awesome to be working with these people. Um, but it has taken quite a bit of iteration to get here. And I, I think, hmm. you know, they, they say that nothing is an overnight success or like the things that seem to be overnight successes have, have taken years and years of sort of prior work. Um, and, and I think that is, uh, that is the thing that, that I've learned, right? Um, you don't always come to these things easily. Uh, it's hard to, you know, when, when it comes to creating something truly valuable, um, mm and not sort of just a copy of another product on the market, but, but also original. Um, it, it takes, it takes a lot of trial and error um, and it can yeah. be kind of frustrating, but it's very rewarding when, you know, you get customers that, that sort of say you're doing the right thing um, and, and that sort of act on it, right? Whether that be uh, writing you a check, uh, using it um, or, uh, or even just advocating for it. Um, so, yeah. So I guess, like, what piece of advice would you give uh, new entrepreneurs uh, that are just trying to start their startup like you've started? Well, I, I think I would sort of consider myself to be a new entrepreneur trying to start a startup. Uh, you know, we are pretty, we are pretty early stage, but um, I, think, uh, I, I think also a big thing that I, I touched on a little bit um, that has been really instrumental and, and continues to be, uh, is the power of community. Um, I think, you know, even just like getting like started with early beta tests, um, and, and things like that, you know, we've really been able to leverage people that have just been willing to give it a try, right? Like this is a problem we have, you're a bunch of 22 year olds, but, uh, but we'll, you know, we'll trust you with, uh, with hopefully not wasting our time. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think, you know, uh, Columbus, uh, and, you know, I, I can only really speak for Columbus, but I also know, you know, Cincinnati as well. Um, there's a really positive culture, uh, around building stuff. Um, mm. people are just eager to get in and help out. Um, and that actually brings up my next question yeah. for you. What kid columbus cincinnati or just ohio in general be doing better to support startup founders like yourself um, i think largely right i mean maybe from like a fundraising perspective this this can be an easier example um it's it's easier you know in san francisco for instance right it like you hear stories of of people raising on a napkin sketch like raising a seed of like three to seven million dollars which just very unrealistic for the average american yes <laughs> yes yes yeah it, it's ridiculous right and and I, w I would tend to agree but um you know in columbus uh it can be the o direct opposite i bet right right like right. you need a lot more in order just to get a little bit yeah in, in order to sort of break through into um mm. you know kind of like like get the stuff that you need but like people are very easy very very willing to help out um but, but they're not willing to you know invest or maybe buy your product is that what you're saying 
there's there's more hesitancy, right? Like like you yeah. have to do more work to, you know, where where things might be a given elsewhere. You have to you know, do more work to kind of set that precedent, um, which which I think is is fair, right? Like, um, I think, you know, Ohio typically has, and obviously these are all sort of generalizations, but but maybe a more measured approach to um, taking on change yeah. and, and doing these big new things, right? But I agree um, with you. I think that's a very valid critique. And, you know, I've seen early stage founders and they struggle just to get customers because people aren't willing to take a chance. So, you know, I think for our audience, if you're out there, take a chance on early stage entrepreneurs like Kai and Helm. And, uh, you know, they will be eternally grateful for you taking a chance on them. But on that note, Kai, can you tell our audience where they can find out more about Helm? How could they get in contact with you? And, you know, where could they possibly buy your product? Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, we're doing pilots starting in January. Uh, we're working with companies all the way from, um, you know, small agencies, uh, 30 to 40 people, uh, to, um, larger startups uh, anywhere from 1500 to 2000 people um, those are the people that those are the companies uh, that we've worked with thus far um, and, uh, and typically we sm- start with like a smaller a smaller team within those companies to you know to make sure it's a good fit um, you can learn more at joinhelm.com um, and uh, if you have any questions uh, i'm kai k-a-i at joinhelm.com well thank you so much kai and i'm sure people will be reaching out That was a great conversation with Guy. I learned so much. I loved the journey from where he was to where he is today. He clearly learned a lot in between. He's had to pivot and change the idea around multiple times. He has to had to take his learnings from each iteration of his business and his ideas to another level in order to continue moving forward. And I, some of the biggest takeaways were, you know, Sturgeon's Law. You know, 90% of what you put out there is garbage, according to this law. But Kai brought up a good point. He takes a positive approach in saying that's just, you know, a reminder that you need to pivot and continually iterate to find that 10% that actually is amazing. And that's exactly what he has done throughout his entire journey. I The other thing that was a big takeaway for me was, you know, just the amount of people that have taken a chance on Kai and his team, uh, especially throughout all their iterations. Uh, they clearly are just starting out, but people are piloting with them, which is huge, and giving them that opportunity. And I think that's something that every person in Ohio who owns a business or is a supporter of businesses can do for early stage founders in this state. I also really liked that he found a community here in Columbus to help support him and get him to where he wanted to go. And that's always been a central theme for him and his team, especially when helping out uh, Columbus businesses during the pandemic with the Can't Stop Columbus uh, initiative. And then, you know, he built a community from that and actually used it in order to help him grow and build Helm. And he said, you know, Cincinnati and Columbus have great communities in for building 
products. So let's not forget that. uh, And let's really lean into that and help early stage businesses grow. And on that note, I think it's time to cheers all by myself. So cheers. And here's some necessary legal stuff. Allie Martin and Patrick Bailey developed the When Pigs Fly podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or any financial interest in the companies which appear on the show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of the EW Scripps company and its affiliates or Generator Management LLC and its affiliates or any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation nor provided any investment or legal advice on the show. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. We also wanna give a shout out to Claire and Christian of Moonbow. They're the two artists of our intro song, which is so catchy and gets stuck in our heads all the time. So bop over to Spotify or wherever you find your music and give them a listen. And Like the Night by Moonbow is courtesy of Silver Lake Sync.